And welcome into Sports Wrap. I hope you're having a uh, wonderful Sunday, beautiful Sunday uh, here in the Motor City. Um, Tigers lose today. They fall to 7-4 and four in their last 11 games. And for whatever reason, it's disappointing. And it, it feels like there was a lot of momentum behind this team at this moment. On a road trip, uh, coming off a four-game sweep of Cleveland at home, uh, they go to the south side to take on the Pale Hose. They split that series. And they rounded off against KC and Cleveland before the All-Star break. And I got to be honest, it, it I was really circling this game today. And I don't know why, really. But just the way that the schedule had played out, the way that the wins had kind of stacked up. And it felt like, all right, you sweep Cleveland at home, you go on the road, and you take the first two against a Chicago team, who really, let's be honest, they just don't have the same, um, they don't have the same juice as we thought they had preseason or, or early on. And injuries certainly have not helped the White Sox. But the Tigers win the first two games in the series, 2-1-7-5 on Thursday and Friday. They get blasted on uh, Saturday, 8 to nothing, And then for whatever reason, it felt like today was a, an important game. Because y- you can still salvage something. And, and in a, in a, for a team that has dug themselves into quite a hole, you don't, if you can try to avoid stacking losses, it helps. Uh, unfortunately, they lose today 4-2. to two. So now you get to restart it again. KC tomorrow, 2-10 uh, first pitch from Kansas City. Look, that's a, that's a big game. Because even if you go 500 here the, West, the rest of the way, Jason, I think you feel good going into the all-star break, but if you can be anything above 500, I think this team feels really good going into the break. Oh, for sure. Uh, the six-game winning streak was definitely nice. And then, of course, the bats went silent again the last couple of days. But with the Royals coming up and then they got the Guardians again, they can, they can make a little bit of noise here. They can make a little bit of noise. I, look, I, I, I guess the bummer for me, is that this team was supposed to be entertaining. This team was supposed to be, they were supposed to be, at least it felt like they were supposed to be in the mix every game. Well, it hasn't been the case. Um, And so, yeah, uh, if you can go out and and win a couple of games here before the all-star break, that's big. That that, that would be, that would be really big setting up for the second half of the season. Uh, Speaking of the all-star break, um, Miguel Cabrera, was Rob Manfred's pick to be, I don't know, some honorary all-star. Um, and for a guy whose numbers are down, for a guy who obviously has no power anymore, but he can, he hits you singles. I mean, I, I don't, I, I like seeing Miggy in the all-star game. All right. I know it's not, it, it doesn't, it doesn't reflect well on the Tigers that that's the guy because he's batting what 308 and he's got, you know, singles coming out of his ears. But 
I don't know. I just feel good for the guy. Uh, you know, he's done everything he can in his career. And look, this team hasn't been able to find a, an all-star player. So Miggy's your guy. Plus, Gregory Soto makes his second consecutive all-star game, um, which, Jason, I thought was a little bit interesting because last year it felt like Gregory Soto was, like, it felt like he was dealing every time he took the bump. This year, it he feel it feels like he's I don't know it, it just it just seems like there's been days when he's got it and there's days where he doesn't. So I mean I was interested to see that Gregory Soto uh, will be the official Detroit Tigers representatives for the All Star game. You have thoughts on that? Yeah, it was interesting because uh, Cabrera got named, and then you said, "Well, who else would it have? Who else would you pick off this team? You can't pick Riley Green. He's only been up for three weeks. Right. He will he'll be a future All Star." But then you 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 know you think it's got to be somebody from the bullpen. So Soto getting the call that makes sense. You can't pick anybody out of the out of this lineup. Uh, and Mm-mm. you you could have picked Scooble, but then he went on a five uh, a five start stretch where he didn't have it. He, he, his last outing was good. So that was that was pretty much your only options. Uh, Soto's the third Tiger reliever to go back to back All Star games since Jose Valverde did it. What was his nickname? Uh, Papa Grande? Yeah, yeah. Papa Grande did it in 2010, 2011. Uh, Willie Hernandez did it three straight years, 84, 85, 86. Um, And the first Tiger pitcher to go back-to-back since Max Scherzer in 13-14. So, you know, good good for for, uh, Greg Soto. It just, unfortunately, I would have liked a different representative. I would have liked to have had a bat in the lineup, but that's just not where this team is at, unfortunately. But there is a different vibe around this team, and winning will do that to you. Stacking dubs will do that to you. It will give you a different, you know, swagger about yourselves. And they did it really, uh, certainly by beating Cleveland four straight at home, after Cleveland went and uh, took on the division-leading Minnesota Twins and I think swept that series. So, yeah, you had to feel good about yourself, and and they have. And they've turned that into a nice little, what, they won six of seven, um, and then they dropped the last two. So I, I just hope that we don't let this spiral out of control again. That's my hope, but we'll see. Um, in the meantime, uh, we got a lot uh, else to do on the show tonight. We're going to talk um, Red Wing hockey next because I think what we are seeing out of Steve Eiserman, this is the Eiser plan. This is what you have to do to be competitive in the NHL. You have to draft right. You have to have a draft plan and by all accounts from Steve Eiserman uh they feel really good about this draft they had a plan they went and executed that plan plus they go get a, a, a goaltender um who you pair with Alex Adelkovich I think this is going to be a nice little one-two punch 
quite possibly the best goalie tandem in the East. Okay? So I think that this reboot, this revamping of this organization is right on schedule. We'll talk about that coming up next. Also, at 6, we'll do it 35 or so. I don't want to break down recruiting because heaven help us. I'd like to keep the listeners that we do have, but what's going on in college football specifically here in the state is worth noting. It's like the twilight zone. I'll explain what that means at six 35. More to come on Sports Wrap tonight. We'll talk in Red Wings next right here on WJR. If you look at how NHL teams get better, right? You, you look at, for example, prime example, the Colorado Avalanche. You look at how that team came to win the Stanley Cup. How do they do it? Internally, drafting, development. And, and that's a huge piece of the NHL. In the salary cap era, it, it just, to go out and expect to land a bunch of free agents and then make a postseason run or or a Stanley Cup run, it, it's just it's unreasonable. It's not how the NHL works. So what do you do? You have to build from within. And what we have seen from Steve Eiserman since he has arrived back in Detroit is a clear plan, at least internally, and then the execution of that plan. And it felt like, once again, Steve Eiserman went into that draft the other night with a clear plan took Marco Casper, number eight overall, played in the Swedish League, um, 46 games, seven goals, four assists. If you look at the scouting report, uh, elite high-end skater, the, the worry is the offensive ceiling. Does he have another gear? Steve Eiserman thinks so. And in fact, in some of the comments that were made post-draft, Steve Eiserman said, yeah, we expect him to be here in the next couple of years, paraphrasing. So uh, this team certainly, at least from a 10,000-foot view, uh, they seem to be right on schedule. Daniela Bruce is a digital reporter for the Detroit Red Wings who joins us this evening on Sports Wrap. Danielle, nice to have you with us. Uh, Talk to me about what the vibe has been uh, inside the organization after this draft. I think this was a a nice haul for this team. I think it was too. And thanks for having me on excited to talk about this draft class. I actually got to sit down with Chris Draper today for our next edition of the word on Woodward and go through every single draft pick from this 2022 class. And he seemed really ecstatic about all of these guys. Even when you get into the seventh round, they didn't think Brennan Ali, who was their last pick in the draft 212th overall was going to be there. And he's a center and they're super excited about what he might bring to the table. But Marco Casper seems like it was their guy, and they had him very, very high on their draft list um, for a long time now, and they were excited to have him there at eight. There was a question if he was going to be there at eight. You mentioned he plays in the SHL. A big reason they liked him is because he plays with men. I know he talks about his offensive numbers not popping off the page so far, but that tends to happen when guys that are 17 and 18 years old are playing in the Mm -hmm. SHL. So I think they have the vision for what his offensive ceiling can be, and they're ready to get him there. Like you said, a couple years, they expect him to make a run at being in Detroit. You know, the center position was was one that they obviously targeted in this draft. Uh, Amadeus Mm -hmm. Lombardi from Flint, the OHL kid, 
uh, also uh, taken by the Red Wings, and and you mentioned Brendan Ali. What what is it about that specific position um, that they that they feel like they needed to address in this draft? I just think it was depth, right? And they wanted to get some size up front is another thing. I don't think they drafted solely on size. I don't think they would do that. But you can see uh, Amadeus Lombardi, he's only 5'10", but they really like the way he plays. He plays bigger than he is. That's exactly what uh, Chris Draper told us today. He said that they, they did want to get stronger up front. That was a clear goal. And the center's position specifically is something that they needed. Uh, Brendan on Lee, Owen Mellenbacher, Adeus Lombardi, and then, of course, Marco Casper, too, were the four centers taken in this draft. So I really think it, it was a play for a depth move. You have Dylan Larkin right now, who is your 1C. You, you've got to figure out who that 2C is. And maybe they did draft him in this 2022 draft. But I'd imagine they'll make a move at free agency, too, just to kind of fill that gap because we know Casper won't be here immediately so we'll see how it plays out but I definitely think center is where they wanted to build the depth they want some of the guys these guys to be playing in Grand Rapids and build the organization stronger through the center in the meantime uh they also made a move for a goaltender in Villa Huso 27 year old going to pair him with Alex Nadelkovich who's 26 uh they re-signed him to a three-year deal and and look, I I think that and and I don't know that I'm going out on much of a limb here, but but this feels like they've got the ability to be at least one of the top three teams in the East from a netminder perspective. You look at some of his numbers uh, in the during the regular season: twenty five, seven, and six, about a two and a half goals against uh, per game with a nine nineteen save percentage. Mm-hmm. Isn't bad. Those numbers slipped in the postseason, which isn't something you'd like to see. But at the same time, they feel like a young guy who hasn't even entered his prime yet. You get him in the mix. Um, and, and you never know. He could really uh, kind of be a catalyst for this team next year. Uh, I Yeah, I think so, too. And I think a tandem of him and Alex Nedeljkovic is going to be great for the Red Wings if we see from Alex Nedeljkovic what we saw last season. Granted, he had some slumps, too. But I think the one thing we need to note is that team defense definitely has to improve. And Derek Lalone has made it very clear that that is one of his number one goals in getting here. And that is one of Steve Eiserman's number one goals heading into next season to make sure that the team is playing better in front of their goaltenders. There were a few too many times where we were expecting way too much out of our goaltenders back there. And I think that's something that hurt Alex Nadelkovich's numbers a little bit because we saw him play absolutely incredible at times too. And Billy Huso is coming from a very, very strong defensive team. So I think that's definitely going to be a number one factor going into this, but between the two of them, I think they could, like you said, be one of the top teams in the East when it comes to a goaltending duo. And that's something the Red Wings haven't had in a long time. So it could be really exciting this year. Uh, In the meantime, development camp is underway. What's the goal here uh, for this particular camp? Uh, So Dan Cleary actually addressed the media today. We talked to him a little bit about it. It's a big learning experience for these prospects. And remember, this is the first development camp since 2019. So a lot of our development staff is seeing some of these prospects for the first time, which is unheard of most of the time. So this is a very special one. What they do here, though, is that they want to give guys a taste of what it's like to to work out in the NHL, what kind of workout regimen you have to be on, what kind of eating plan you have to be on, the the rigorous schedule of all of that and the training that you're going to do. And they want to make sure they're giving them all kinds of tips and all of these guys use this time to ask any questions they have when they go back to their respective teams and they start training again next season. They feel comfortable that they can go to their development staff asking all those questions and making sure they're on the right path to getting where they want to be. I think – 
you got to remember some of these guys are 17 and 18 years old. So it, it can be hard to get on that schedule and learn the work ethic that it takes to get to the NHL. And I think that's exactly what they want to instill in them. Some of the red wing ways, if you will, from now, so they can start them now as their prospects and they can work their way through the organization. Uh, you know, I think when we heard from Derek Lalone, the new head coach, it, it mm-hmm. all of the things that we wanted to hear, we heard. Um, and, and I think from a, from even an X's and O standpoint, he understands where the deficiencies have been. He understands where this team has been lacking. Uh, do you expect this change in, in, and I, I guess I don't, I, I think this is going to be something where this roster still needs some overhaul, but, but I expect with this mentality, the, the change will happen just at a slower pace. I don't know that this is going to happen overnight in terms of the way he wants to play defense, the way he wants to be an offensive team, but, but the, the emphasis on, on giving your netminder a, a, another level of, security if you will from a defensive standpoint i don't think it's going to happen overnight but it feels like this guy has a has a plan to put in place and it and it will happen or kind of organically yeah and i I totally agree with you on that statement the one thing that we don't know yet which free agency starts on wednesday so we will know soon is what exactly is steve eisenman going to do in free agency he has to make a decision on if he's going to bring mark stall back or if he's going to go out and get another veteran defenseman which he might do and bring mark stall back so Things actually could change overnight if you end up mm-hmm. having a more talented roster after free agency, right? We just don't know exactly how that's going to look and what Steve Eisenman is exactly thinking. But to your point, the, the things that Derek Lalone wants to implement aren't going to make a super immediate impact. He referenced Tampa quite a few times, which obviously they had a ton of success down there, went to three Stanley Cups, won two of them. He said to be patient you it's a process and I know Red Wings fans tend to hate that word the process you have to kind of trust the process but he said that if Tampa hadn't trusted the process and hadn't gone through the minuscule details of making sure they're doing everything right then they wouldn't be as good as they are today and again he's had the experience in doing that learning under John Cooper and then implementing his own coaching style himself as an assistant so I think we do have to trust his process. And it's all just going to depend on what roster he has to work with come training camp. You know, I, I talked to some folks uh, and, and they seem to feel like Steve Weiserman wasn't done in terms of where this roster was going to be between now and opening day. And, and mm-hmm. sure, that's easy to say, of course, they're going to be somewhat active in free agency, but, but that the level of activeness, I guess, is the question. How, how active do you anticipate this team being in, in terms of, perhaps trying to lure in some top free agents or, or do you feel like they're just not there yet? Uh, in my, I'm telling you, I, I really don't know. Steve Eiserman is a, is very much a man of mystery, but I, what I do think is that active is the right word. They are going to be active on this free agent market. It is just how big are those signings going to be? Are they going to go get that big free agent forward that they want to pay you know, they have a lot of cap space right now. They've got mm-hmm. to come to a deal with Dylan Larkin. They're still waiting to see what that's going to be. But they do still have a lot of cap room to play with. So is this the year and can they get that deal done is the question. And I think we'll find out really, really soon. Like I said, starts Wednesday. So phones are going to be ringing and things are going to be happening. We just don't know exactly what level of player Steve Eisenman is trying to bring in. Is he trying to keep it to those two to three year deals that he's been giving out? Or is he going to sign a player for five or more years? That is still the big question mark. So I think it's going to be a very interesting situation at the end of this week. 
I hope they paid the phone bills because you're right. I think yeah. uh, I think phones are going to be <laughs> off the hook. Uh, Daniela yeah. Bruce, uh, appreciate the time. Look forward to talking with you again. Thank you. And thank you. Uh, a lot of really good stuff there. And and again, uh, she's right. I know. I know. Wings fans don't like the word process. They don't like where this team is at um, at the moment. But I, I think what Steve Eiserman is doing here. This is the slow burn. This is the this is the way you build a a winning franchise. And he was a part of one trying to do one behind the scenes. Now more on sports rep as we continue next. And we talk about recruiting here on WJR. Don't go anywhere. You know, you hear college football coaches specifically, uh, certainly basketball coaches will tell you the same thing, but college football coaches. Recruiting is the lifeblood of any program. Recruiting, 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 recruiting. It is a 24-7 cycle. It never stops. And the only time it does are the recruiting dead periods at the NCAA institutes. Otherwise, it is a 24-7 gig. You are always recruiting. And a decade ago and prior, used to be you you recruit a kid when they're a junior in high school. Or you recruit a kid when they're a senior in high school. You recruit them a year out. Then, as the years have gone on, you start recruiting kids two years out. Then three years out. In some cases, four years out. I mean, recruiting has taken on a completely different uh, piece of the pie in college football. Case in point, look at Dante Moore, who officially committed to the Oregon Ducks this week. A Detroit King prospect, five-star quarterback in your backyard. In Michigan's case, they recruited Dante Moore since he was in seventh grade. Seventh grade. That's how recruiting has evolved. And you wonder, hmm, Dante Moore, Detroit King, Michigan kid. How does he get out of the state? How does C.J. Carr, the grandson of Lloyd Carr, who plays basically next to the big house in Saline, how does that kid go to Notre Dame? How does that happen? Here's the deal. Here's where we sit in college football in 2022. And going forward, I expect things to change even more. Michigan is coming off a year in which they beat Ohio State, a year in which they clobber Iowa in the Big Ten championship game, a year in which they go to the college football playoff. And you think, hmm, Michigan, big brand, Jim Harbaugh, Big Ten champs, playoff appearance. This team has got to be recruiting out of their minds, right? Wrong. According to 24-7, the recruiting website, 
Michigan currently ranks 45th. 45th. Michigan State, who beat Michigan last year, but did not win a Big Ten, did not go to the college football playoff. They're at 22. There's juice. There's excitement in East Lansing. And OSU's number two, as we sit right now. That's really no surprise there. But in, in the case of Michigan, you really wonder what's happening. And let me break it down for you. Aside from being in an era of recruiting in which you're recruiting younger and younger athletes and younger and younger football players, we also now are dealing in the NIL era. Name, image, and likeness, where student-athletes are able to profit off their name, image, and likeness. And you see schools like Michigan State, for example, that have absolutely leaned in to NIL. They have given every opportunity for their student-athletes to make money. They, in some cases, are facilitating it. And as you can see, Michigan State, number 22 on the list, it's paying dividends. You've got Ryan Day out there talking to business leaders in Columbus, saying it's going to take them about $15 million to stay a relevant football program in the Big Ten next year. $15 million. You've got schools like Texas A&M that have essentially opened up the pocketbooks via boosters and whomever and are just dumping money into recruits' pockets. And I haven't seen an official report yet, and I've only heard rumors, but let's just say Dante Moore got some dough to go out to Oregon. Reportedly. Allegedly. So NIL has become one of the most important aspects of recruiting, more so than the college, more so than the stadium, more so than the jerseys, more so than the the coaches or the players, more so than the uh, the student lifestyle, more so than the restaurants on campus, everything. It has now taken the numero uno spot on the pecking order that kids look at when they go to colleges. And I want you to look at something. I want, I want to read you something here. This is from Jordan Acker, who is a regent at the University of Michigan. Uh, he took to Twitter, uh, said he wanted to add some thoughts on the NIL, the future and where it's going in a Twitter thread. And I want to read it to you. First, let's lay out what's happening. There's two restrictions that some schools have to live under. First, Title IX, which requires Funding for men's and women's NIL, meaning if you hire an NIL coordinator for both, they better be doing both genders. Okay, that's easy enough. The second is using it as a recruiting device. This ties into the first, but let's be clear, it's against NCAA rules, some state laws, but neither have proven to be enforceable in any way. That's a key. We'll we'll return to that momentarily. The first one is resolvable and with the right guidance, any school should handle well. The second is more difficult issue is using NIL collectives to recruit kids straight out of high school. You see two things. First, schools have been in this world for so long, uh, for a long time transitioning well. Some schools continue to watch and see and others invent them out of whole cloth. Just my prediction here. Use NIL as a recruiting incentive will be nearly impossible for most schools to keep up. Why? 
worst ROI of any NIL scheme by far. I do think they are getting uh, going to make some schools very successful in the NIL business in the short term. However, eventually donors tire of money going for nothing, and we will see a pot of NIL money isn't unlimited. The biggest bang for the buck is and will be rising stars and developed talent. There's no such thing as a sure thing in football or any other NCAA sport, but the furthest thing from a sure thing is a high school kid. The schools that will be most successful in the long term from NIL are the ones who successfully build collectives that fund rising stars and above. All right, a lot to break down there. I fundamentally disagree with this. First of all, he's right. Uh, It is against the NCAA uh, rules to use it as a recruiting device, but you know who's doing it? Everybody. Everybody's using it as a recruiting device. And if you're not, then you will fall behind. You will fall behind. Here's the other part in all of this as well. Um, The worst ROI of any NIL scheme so far. I disagree with that, at least fundamentally. Because if C.J. Stroud, hey, 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 Jason, uh, do me a favor. Go on to uh, uh, Instagram. Find me how many followers C.J. Stroud has on Instagram. The quarterback at Ohio State. Oh, I want to know. Because we could talk about ROI. Now, certainly, he is a, what is he, uh, Blake, 19 years old? He's going to be a, a, a sophomore next year, a true sophomore? Yeah, 19 or 20. Okay. So, Sure. There's a there's a high probability that many of the followers of CJ Stroud probably can't afford a Mercedes. Okay? But that's what CJ Stroud is driving via a dealership. 124,000 followers Jason says. Okay, 124,000 followers. Most of those kids aren't going to be able to buy a Mercedes. But you know what? Eventually those kids probably will be able to buy a Mercedes. And and as uh, they continue on, uh, yeah, they'll probably do okay for themselves, some of them. And, and a lot of those people aren't just kids. So I, I don't know how you can say it's the worst ROI of any NIL scheme. I just, I don't know. I, fundamentally, I don't know how there are, is information to back that up. They are going to make schools very successful in the short term. And and I'll tell you what, in this era of NIL and the way that recruiting is, I think that you will see two separate groups. It's the haves and the have-nots. And if you don't buy in, if this isn't something that you're willing to buy into, well, then I'm afraid you'll you'll be a have-not while other schools will be propelled based on the higher-ranked recruits, who, let's be honest, you got a better shot of producing better football players, at least in the near term in college. You got a better shot of winning more football games. If you don't, if this isn't something you're going to lean into, well, you'll see the other side of it. But we're going to talk to our yeah. Go ahead. Boy. Sorry, I was just going to say, isn't that what college football has always been though? The haves and the have-nots. Like that's 
I think that that's the argument against NIL not completely changing college football because we already have haves and have-nots. So I don't disagree, but at the same time, this is this is open season, right? Like, this is financial open season. There aren't any bag men anymore, and I'm sure there are, but they're they're antiquated. They're irrelevant. Those those guys, they don't even need them anymore to drop a bag of hundred dollar bills at some recruits' doorstep. It, they don't need to do it anymore because now you've got wealthy boosters, wealthy businesses in the area that basically want to invest. And and when you've got the outright ability to do that. Even schools that have the brand, even schools that have the name recognition, if you're not going to lean into this openly, if you're not, if this isn't something that you're going to subscribe to openly, then I think kids will look at that and wonder, okay, well, if you're not willing to play the game, how do I know that I'm going to be able to maximize my value via NIL when I'm there? It doesn't, it, it, it won't happen. They won't come. And and look, as as much of a bummer as that is, because I, I think you're you're once again taking a little bit else out of college football. Because these kids, when they came to these schools, there was a there was a a reaction, whether it was a coach whether it was the university, whether it was the the stadium, whatever, they fell in love. They they had to they had to like where they were going. They had to they, there was some sort of visceral reaction to the place. And I don't know that that's going to continue. Maybe amongst some of the the the, the lower rated guys, but but I, that's another part of this that I think is is going by the wayside uh, as well. You want to weigh in 800-859-0957. In the meantime, we'll take a quick break. Come back on the other side. Talk to our friends at Spin on Golf, which is coming your way at 7.05 right here on WJR. They're down at Detroit Golf Couple. Talk to them next right here on Sports Wrap. Mike Fay, BC, Sean Belegian, all down at Detroit Golf Club. What's up, fellas? How we doing? Hi, Mr. Renwick. How are you? Hello, Chris. Hi, friend. Uh, How are you? I, I really liked your piece with uh, the, the NHL piece there on the way in. That was good. That was really good and very informative. I learned a lot about where the wings stand now, so I got some, you know, getting ready for this. Yeah, season. and I I understand why fans are antsy. Like I get it's it. I, mean, I get it. It is. It it and, and especially from the mountaintop in which they fell, yeah. right? Like it, it's it's really hard to be successful at that level for so long, and then the fall really stinks. It's gonna hurt. You're gonna you're gonna break a couple bones, and you're gonna be bruised up, and you gotta mend, and, and you gotta fix yourself. And then once you get right, you're able to start that climb again. And and they're just they're really at the at the bottom of the mountain. They're just they're not even they're, they're just in the process of gathering the gear that they need. <laughs> they just they're just they're just not there yet. And it's it's Chris. It's, I'm glad. It's a tough process. I'm glad that you brought that up because I think one of the most fascinating things that I've heard in in the last few months around here is you hear a lot of people say out of one side of their mouth how they trust Steve Eiserman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They trust Steve Eiserman. And out of the other side of their mouth, they're, why aren't we getting ready for the playoffs yet? And it's like, this is going, listen, five-year rebuild. He's been on the job three years. We've got a couple more years 
of yep. kind of scrambling and trying to get it right around here. But I think the proof's in the pudding when you look at the long-lasting success that he had in Tampa that I, yeah. I don't want to take anything away from Julian Brisbois. He's done a fantastic job. Steve built that. Yeah, exactly. Let's call yes. it for what it is. Right. Steve built that. No, yeah. no doubt about it. You know, like you said, one free, one big free agent, that's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, one guy. Mm-hmm. Now you've got a monster line or the yeah. second line being equally as good. Yeah, and, and they obviously feel pretty good about this about this draft as well, um, which makes me feel good that they feel good about it because here's the thing is in, in this in this version of the NHL, in this world that we live in in, in pro hockey, you got to build from inside. You have to develop. You have to you have to draft well. Um, and this organization has a history of drafting well, but you got to develop that talent. We see it from some of the young guys now, but but at the same time, it can be frustrating. I get it, but but it's a it's a long term process. It's not as good as the Lions draft. That's all I'm gonna say. Well, um, yeah. So about the I mean, yes. yeah. I love the Lions. How much how much Flint Firebird hockey do you watch? You know what I mean? Like, huh? it's a little different. <laughs> a little different. I, you know, I love the OHL, so be careful there. You're on thin ice, Brad. <laughs> You're on no thin ice there. <laughs> um, golf. How about Xander Shoffley? A uh, couple of back-to-back Ooh. wins for for Xander. Um, playing some really nice golf. Yes, the Scottish Open. Um, it's it's in the top ten in majors in the world. Sure. I think it's in the top 10. It's getting to be, it's getting to get some traction because of the week prior to the open championship. And, you know, it's a big deal. I think uh, guys are realizing now, now, you know, they hire, they host at the same facility. So is it more like an, an Augusta tournament? Yes, I think it is. Whereas the open championship is moving around and they have their rota, but um, you know, Scottish open's taking traction. It is. Everybody wants to come get used to it, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, why not? Two, two and a half, three weeks. Over well, how about there. him shooting 65 in the second round when uh, the wind was blowing 90 miles? I an mean, hour? It, it howled. Yes. It, did. <laughs> it really did. It yes. was, it was uh, uh, right off of uh, the Firth there and it was brutal. But yeah, no problem. And today, perfect conditions. Yeah. Power. It was nice. $1.4 million, $8 million purse, Chris. That helps things along too. Are those yeah. pounds? Yes. Pounds. Yeah. That's, that's, that's even better. Yes, it is. It's way better. <laughs> So I think they won like fourteen fifty uh, in in the in in U.S. Um, no, um, uh, I, I will say I, I think I'd probably shoot a two hundred in those kind of conditions, like it was the other day. Just wild. No, you'd be surprised. You'd, no. you'd really be surprised how you how well, you know. Everyone says that. Ah, oh, it's nasty over that hill over here. I don't hill over there. You know, Jordan went with us. We went over there like four years ago over to Northern Scotland and. He said, "Ah, this is kind of it's going to be rough." And then you know, you get over there; it's it's not that bad. You know, you can keep your ball on the ground. You can make bogeys. You know, you make a lot of bogeys. Um, it, did you get, did you get your pilot's license so you could drive that LIV jet? Is that why you got your pilot's license? <laughs> you see that thing? Holy At this moly. moment in history, I have no comment on the situation. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> what what do we got coming up tonight? Uh, lots of stuff. Obviously, the next few weeks are uh, very big around here. Uh, no doubt about that. Uh, looking forward to the uh, Dow Great Lakes Bay Invitational. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the buildup. Uh, Chris, so much has gone up around here at the DGC in such a yep. short amount of time. 
It's going to be bigger and better than ever. Love it. Spin on golf coming your way. Seven. Uh, 05 right here on WJR. Don't miss it. Have a nice show, fellas. Uh, all right, that's going to do it for us tonight. Have yourself a nice week. Catch you next Sunday right here on Sports Wrap.